0: So this is not a message on the needing to pray, because we know we need to pray. I think we still do pray. But I think the context in which we pray, the attitude of which we pray, the intensity in which we pray, is what we need to spend a little time talking about we need to spend a little time thinking about. Because maybe we have our ritual prayers. Maybe we go to Matthew and we we memorize that verse, that when they ask Jesus, what should we pray? And he reminds us, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And maybe most of us can recite that. And maybe there's a special prayer that you pray before every meal. Maybe there's a prayer that you pray before you go to bed at night, and there's something that you say when you get up in the morning. But what's the intensity of that prayer? What's the strength of that prayer? What's the attitude of that prayer? But when we How are we going to offer it to a holy God? A wonderful God. A mighty God. An omnipotent God. An omnipresent God that sees and knows all. That we hide nothing from. That he sits high and he looks low. That he's acquainted with all of our sorrows. And then we give him five seconds and done. See, James, who was Jesus' brother, he writes this passage in the book of James. And maybe James struggled with his relationship with his brother Jesus. Maybe it wasn't as strong and as intense and as personal as it should have been. And he didn't have that sincere affection and intensity with his brother. Anybody ever been there? And so we see James in the book of In the fifth chapter, the 16th verse, he says, confess your faults one to another. Don't forget about one another. Don't forget about that one to your left and your right. Maybe we can go through the busyness of our day and we can forget about each other. He says, and pray one for another. That there is somebody going through something around you. That there is somebody, maybe you got it bad, but there is somebody that's got it a little bit worse than you. And are we being intentional? That ye may be healed. He went on to say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, he gave us some characteristics of prayer. He gave us some adverbs to prayer. He didn't just say pray, but he says the effectual, fervent prayer. So when we pray, how do we pray? See, let me give you a couple of definitions here. See, prayer is a solemn request for help. or expression of thanks addressed to God. See, it's a dialogue, not a monologue, where we talk and God listens. And then God talks and we listen. As we make a habit of approaching God in prayer, we will come to know him and draw ever nearer to him. See, when we approach him in the right way, when we come before God with intentionality, But understanding who he is, when we allow ourselves to be turned towards him, it moves God and it moves us. That we grow in a more intimate relationship with him. See, our (laughs) desires will become more like his desires. We will be able to secure for ourselves and for others blessings that can only come from God. Do you know a blessing is something you can't do for yourself? That only God can do it. See, he is ready to give if we would but act in faith. See, let me explain that a little bit. See, the word faith means believing and trusting in, that we don't just act in a way that we're throwing up like we do with Santa Claus, and we go, I want this, I want that. But we believe that God is working on our behalf, and that we are working with him, in the context of prayer and that we're expecting God to do something mightily in the lives of others and in our lives see prayer is the means God has ordained for some things to happen so he can do it without us but he wants to do it with us prayer for instance helps others to know the love of Jesus It is not that God can't work without our prayers, but that he has established prayer as part of his plan for accomplishing his will in this world. Prayer moves mountains. It causes the storms to be calmed, not so much because of what we say, but how we say it, what fervency of the heart, and who we say it to, Who is our great I am? Who are we speaking to? How fervent are we speaking it? Do we believe it ourselves? See, James is getting into a big idea here of this text that we see in James, the fifth chapter. James' viewpoint was that our faith was directly linked to and demonstrated by our works. See, he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. And let me go on and explain that a little bit. See, if you are to pray effectually, you must pray a great deal. See, that word effectual means to pray with effect, the intended effect. See, in, in, in my younger days, I used to be an artilleryman in the military. And in the military, as an artilleryman, we used to do something. We would shoot a spot round. And that spot round was to just kind of shoot it out there, throw it out there, and and, and try to get close to the target. And then once we got close to the target, we would would adjust our angle and deflection. Because there are things in the spiritual life and our life that's going to change, and we have to be willing to adjust with our prayer. And so once we would adjust, we would shoot another round, and maybe that round would go over. And then that round would go over and we would say, hey, we shot the first one and it went short. We shot the second one and it went long. Now we would adjust our angle and deflection because we knew we were going to hit the target. And we said, fire for effect. And all the guns started shooting. And it would annihilate that target. See, in our prayers, we need to be firing for effect. We need to be intense and intentional about reaching the ear and the throne of God. See, he hears it the first time, but he's like, what you want me to do with that? Shoot another. And maybe that hour goes long and he say, all right, you're getting there, you're getting closer. Now, keep it coming. Know that our weapons are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty towards God to the pulling down of strongholds and the lifting up of the same. And so we're lifting up prayers to God. We're lifting up holy hands to Him. We're reaching the throne of God, and it moves God to do what He already wants to do. If you are to pray effectually, you must pray a great deal. Yes, he hears you at the first knock, but are we committed to join in the work? It was said of the Apostle James that his knees were callous like camel's knees by praying so much that he knew that it was a work. He would get on his knees, he would pray, and it was like callous over. See, prayer is, the, is a beseeching the Lord, like it says in Exodus 32, a pouring out of the soul before the Lord, as in 1 Samuel 1, a praying and a crying to heaven in 2 Chronicles three thirty-two, a seeking unto God and making supplication, a humble plea to God, as Job did, a drawing near to God. As we see David in the book of Psalms, and are bowing the knee. You are holy, God. You are righteous. I bow my knee before you. I get into my battle position with you, God. I'm ready to do battle with you. Because you are on my side. No weapon formed against us shall prosper and we're going to fire for effect. See, Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not equip you for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. To be a great nation, we must be a great nation of prayer. See, look at it again, the effectual, fervent prayer. is the hardest kind of work there is to do. It takes something. It takes us to get out of ourselves. It takes us to push past our want to and to enter into His glory, His perfect righteousness. See, the word effectual just simply means successful in producing a desired or intended result that is effective and fervent having or displaying a passionate intensity. Now, most of us know when we, when, when we throw out that first prayer, it's just it's hitting short. We're just, we just spotting. We're checking the block. But could we give so much more to God who gives so much to us See, we think about Jesus. Jesus always went to the Father in prayer. He already knew God was going to do it. He said, I am my Father are one. He said, I do nothing but what the Father tells me, but he constantly went to the Father. See, we see that in the book of Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verse 7. They spoke of Jesus and they said who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications, meaning to plead humbly, with strong crying, here's Jesus crying before God, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard the Shema. my God. He wanted God to hear him. He wanted God to do something. He was confident in God's abilities, and he cried out to God, in that he feared. In other words, he showed reverence. He showed piety and deity. He humbled himself. He didn't think he was all that, but he humbled himself before a mighty God and God heard Jesus. See, Oswald Chambers also wrote, he said, we take for granted that prayer is preparation for work, whereas prayer is the work. See, we may get up in the morning, and we say, well, let me prepare for the thing that I have to do, and we go in prayer, when prayer is the the mightiest work we could ever do for that day. See, the rest should be the overflow. The rest should be the job. The, the See, the prayer is the work. See, we're spiritual beings. We're fighting a spiritual war. And now out of that spiritual war and that spiritual being, God gives us an o- overflow to now be a blessing to others to love on others, because he first loved us. And we get to experience that when we're sitting in his presence, sitting at his feet. That's why Jesus told Martha that it's more needful that 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 Mary's sitting at my feet. He said, Martha, you're troubled about a lot of things, but this is more needful. The intercessory prayer is God's chosen way of working. Not only does it take more out of a person than any other kind of work, we have to handle ourselves with a strong discipline to make time for effectual, fervent prayer. Would you agree it takes discipline? It doesn't come easy. We have to do, as Paul said, press towards the mark of the high calling, That's in Christ Jesus. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, the English word fervent simply means impassioned, forceful, passionate, heartfelt, powerful, wholehearted. Then we're going to come to him in prayer. I know some of us may say, well, you know, that, don't, that, that, that doesn't fit in my comfort zone. See, God wants to get us out of our comfort zone. He wants us to stop being so dignified. And to worship him. Spend time with him. See, I believe that's why David danced out of his clothes. He's a king, and he's running around, and they probably called him a fool. What you doing, David? Calm down. You're too undignified. He was worshiping God and allowing his praise to be undignified. (laughs) See, this watering down is even seen in our modern translations, and I'm not trying to knock any of them, but I I, I look at this, and maybe you have that version also, so don't don't take it the wrong way, but we see even the most modern translations, the emphasis is taken off the diligent work of prayer, so much so that the word fervent is taken out, that we lose that impact, See, in the ESV, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. See, we're putting more emphasis on the outcome of prayer than the earnestness of prayer. See, James is trying to tell us the earnestness of prayer. In the NIV, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It says nothing about the earnest, the effectual prayer. In the New American Standard Bible, it says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. It has effective, but it leaves out that fervent. See, there is something about being passionate, being impassioned, being forceful when our prayer. See, the Bible says the violent take it by force. So our prayer needs to have some force to it. It doesn't need to be routine. It doesn't need to be rope. It doesn't need to be recidical. But that is impassioned. Let me give you an example of this. We see this with Solomon. If you would go with me to 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter, verse 14. It's a very familiar scripture that many of us know. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So we see there that God gives a promise in Scripture. He says, if my people would humble, would pray, would seek my face, he says, then I'll hear. He gives us some actions. And see, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we have the understanding that the Israelites were straying away from God. And God had put it on David's heart to build a temple as an offering to God, to go before God in prayer and, and to trust him. And God told David, King David, that it wasn't for him that Solomon would, re, would build the temple. So it took seven years for Solomon to build this temple, this altar before God, as a dedication to God in prayer. But we see something happen here. If we just look at that very first verse of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles, It says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. See, we need to know how we got to 2 Chronicles 14. This is how we got to God giving that verse because of this. See, Solomon did something. He went before the altar as a representative of all the people. And he stood before the altar with his hands open wide and he just prayed before God. In chapter 6, you will see this fervent, this, this earnest and broken-hearted prayer that he is offering to God. He's talking about all of their sins. He's talking about how they were in need of of God, how, how far they had strayed away from him, but that God was a good God and an awesome God and a holy God, and he was so thankful. And so he lifted this prayer before God. See, what we also see in that scripture is that they had brought many Sacrifices before God that had brought oxen and they had brought cattle and they had even brought 120,000 sheep and laid before the altar to get God to be okay with them. 120,000 sheep. But it was Solomon's prayer that he gave a prayer of sacrifice before God, that he laid it at the altar. Look what 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12 tells us. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. See, God had seen the 120,000 sheep. He had seen the oxen and all that that was laid before the altar. But God heard Solomon's prayer in the midst of night when all the temple had been built, when all... The sacrifice had been laid. God heard the sacrifice of prayer. He went on to say, We see in verse 13, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, and God was talking about a national judgment that could be supposed upon the people of Israel. He says, yes, I know of all of the sins and all of the things that I've done, and I can cause famine and pestilence and perhaps war and bring locusts that can devour the land and lay everything at waste. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Search out, search after me, and turn from their wicked ways. See, that turning requires a violent rejecting of ourselves and of this world. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. See, he didn't stop there. He went on to verse 15. Look at it. Now my eyes shall be open, and my ears attend unto the prayer. Not the sheep, not the oxen. Not gold and silver, not the money that you can put in the offering plate, but unto the prayer that is made in this place. See, where is your place? Do you go before God with a sacrifice? Does He hear your prayer? Do you have an altar before him? Would you give a sacrifice to him? See, what we lay on the altar, is it the best or is it just what's left over? Is it just when we're at night and we're tired and we throw a quick sacrifice. See, it should hurt a little bit. And it's because we can make a difference. See, here's what Psalms 33 verse 12 says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he have chosen for his own inheritance. See, God chose us He believed that the people of God could transform this nation. That this nation would be blessed because of us. Because we have a holy inheritance. And we can do battle like no other. See, with humble hearts, in the land of plenty, in the land of great witches, there is a need to stay humble The Bible reminds us that pride comes before the fall. See, humility is a virtue God desires in each and every one of us. That we would come before him with humble hearts. As Proverbs 22 verse 4 reminds us, But humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. See, we have riches, honor, and life when we come with humble hearts before the Lord. Our nation was founded on this principle that we would humble ourselves and that we would trust trust in God not in what this can buy but what's already been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ as we are hearing it and we sing our nation's song, America the Beautiful, in each sonnet we ask for God's grace, God's mending of our flaws, God's refining power upon America and upon us. See, John, the fourth chapter, verse 10, tells us to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. See, prayer connects us with God. It intercedes for others, our leaders, and the hurting of this world. So there's a lot of folks that's hurting. They're in need, in need of us to be on our knees, to be in prayer, to be in humble adoration of God and, and His work, not our work. And 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 reminds us, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This is where we focus on. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodness and honesty. See, Paul is encouraging us, just as he was encouraging the saints of that day, Make this your first thing. Have a humble desire to lift others up before God. Intercede for them. Give thanks for all men that we're constantly reminding God that we're praying for effect. And to seek his face. See, when we seek his face, it brings a new attitude. See, as I continue and I watch all those things on TV and I watch the destruction and I watch things going on, my heart can become deadened. It can stop being compassionate about what's going on around us. There are people that are dying and going straight to hell today. It's not just a movie. It's not just an adventure. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and God has given it to us that we can intercede in prayer. That we can stop the devil in his tracks with just being on our knees. And so that we seek his face. We turn, we repent. That we would just not seek to know his laws and commands, but that we would seek to know him, our God, and by doing so we would repent. You know, as we get closer to God, we get to know him more and more, it causes us to repent. See, here's what Isaiah in the sixth chapter, verse 5 said. He said, Then said I, Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts see when he saw God for himself when he got up close and personal it caused him to say woe is me I'm standing in the presence of a holy God who loves me with an undying love who will never leave me nor forsake me that God's promises for you and I are steadfast and sure that he loves you so much he just wants us to come and turn and seek his face and watch him do a wonderful work in you and I See, it's not so much about what we say, but the manner in which we say it. And the one that we're giving it to, that we know that we know that we know that He is able. See, Toreen Wells wrote the song, When We Pray. And when we think about the words of that song, It reminds us of what happens when we pray. People hurting, people broken, beaten down and feeling hopeless. Wonder if it's gonna always be this way. Who will speak up for the captive, show some love, and heal a past? that binds the wounds we think will never go away. But what if we could be a people on our knees, as one before the king? Because we believe. All the world starts changing when the church starts praying. Strongholds start to break, oh, when we pray. Prison walls start shaking at the sound of praising. Nothing stays the same Oh, when we pray, when we pray. I see revival rising. I see hope on the rising as a generation stepping out in faith because we will be a people on our knees as one before the king. Yeah, we believe. All the world starts changing when the church starts praying. Strongholds start to break when we pray. Prison walls start shaking at the sound of praising. Nothing stays the same when we pray. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done. All the world starts changing when the church starts praying. Strongholds start to break when the saints of God When we pray, Saints of God, God has given us so, so much. Don't let it just sit by on the wayside. You are mighty. God wants us to join in and be that warrior when we pray that he's called us to be. And so I hope you're encouraged that God thought it worthy to allow you and I to be a part of his grand plan. And so I hope you never look at prayer the same way again. We have so much to be thankful about. And so there is revival coming when you and I, when we pray.